Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Today, our passage is um, from Philippians chapter 3. It's verse 4 through 17, but it's like the second half of verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead pressing on toward the goal. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. We are actually over halfway through our series on union with Christ, believe it or not. I think we have four more after tonight. Um, and, uh, as most of you know, cause you've been at most of the large groups so far, we've, we've, you know, the, the outline is taking us through why we need a series on union with Christ. We've looked at, um, our union with Adam and sin. Uh, we've seen the vital nature of our union, like that, um, Christ is our life. It's the very lifeline of our um, existence with God, our life with God. And, and then we began to look at the benefits of our union with Christ. So we, we looked at adoption, and we looked at justification, and we looked at sanctification. And we're going to hit on one more benefit that will actually be the last one um, in our series, uh, glorification. So this week, um, I, I've kind of positioned this topic intentionally right here. You can kind of think of this as somewhat of an intermission in the series. Uh, we're now kind of in the thick of it, and we're really beginning to see the forest through the trees, as it were, and uh, the beauty of being united to Jesus. We're starting to see that with a bit more clarity and taste of it. And so what I wanted us to do today is to kind of take a step back and ask ourselves a really fundamental question uh, about union with Christ, and that's this: How do I, um, how do I make this my own? 
if I'm not a Christian, how do I make this my own, my own? How do I take possession of this union such that it's not just an idea that we're talking about, but it's a reality that's actually true of my life? Further, let's say that you are a Christian and you are in union with Christ. You're united to him. How do we live more fully into this reality of union? Think of it this way. Here's a couple of illustrations for you. If if you like somebody, uh, dare I say, if you love somebody, say there's, for you guys in the crowd, say there's some girl in RUF that you just can't take your eyes off of and you really love this girl and you want her to be yours and you want to be hers. Well, what do you do? Right. Let's just just go ahead and say for the sake of argument that, you know, maybe you've asked her out and you guys are dating or something, but you you want her to be yours and you want to be hers like this is getting pretty serious. So what do you do? Well, there's this thing it doesn't happen often in Berkeley, but this thing called proposals and proposing and marriage. And it's where you ask somebody to marry you. And it's really hard, but it's really fun and it's really worth your time. So as an aside, you should do it if the Lord has it for you do it. You propose. You love somebody. You're like, hey, will you marry me? Um, so that's one way to think about it. There's another way to think about it. Let's say if you're already a Christian, think of it this way. Uh, since this illustration worked so well last week, let's return to LeBron James. Let's say, hypothetically, that you're LeBron James. That's who you are. Uh, so the question is, how do you live more fully into your LeBron Jamesness? Well, the answer is quite obvious. You need to play basketball. You need to go shoot. You need to get in the gym. You need to work out because that's what LeBron does. Now, just as a brief political aside, I know LeBron does more than simply, quote, dribble a basketball, but you get my point, right? If you are LeBron James, well, then... Uh, to live more fully into your LeBron James, you need to go like dunk on some fools and uh, take some shots in the gym. So, you know, those two illustrations are, are two different kinds of questions um, with two different answers. But the questions that I raised at the beginning, you know, how do I make union mine? How do I make this my own? And if I am in union with Christ, how do I live more fully into this reality? Those are two different questions as well, but according to the Bible, they have the same answer. The answer is the same to both of those questions, and the answer is through faith. How do I make this my own? Through faith. How do I live more fully into this reality? Through faith. So, as you could guess, tonight we're going to be talking about faith. What is faith? And so, here's why I think we need to spend some time talking about faith. For one, I think we need to deconstruct uh, poor ideas about what faith is. For example, faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not some sort of vague spiritual optimism that denies or ignores the reality of hard circumstances in life. Faith is not 
some magic trick that if you could just conjure up enough of it, you would make the grade that you want on that test. Like I've got faith in God, I've studied and I've got faith that like I will make an A. It's not a magic trick that you can use to get the job that you've dreamed of if you just have enough faith. Uh, If you just have enough faith, you can't get the life that you've always wanted. Faith is not a magic trick. Even more important, uh, the strength of your faith is not indicative of your security with God. That's a poor idea about what faith is. You are not more loved by God uh, if you are more faithful or if your faith is really strong. So another misconception. Or lastly, for those who are perhaps skeptical of faith, uh, and in some ways rightly so, faith is not, according to the Bible, a denial of logic or a suspension of rationality or reason. So blind faith may be like a sociological and cultural reality, but it is not a biblical reality. Faith has content. It's faith in something, right? Faith has reasons, and faith has warrant, according to the Bible. So that's the first thing. We need to deconstruct poor ideas about what faith is. The second thing, though, is that we need our understanding of faith to be reconstructed by the Bible. So, for example, we need to know that it's not faith in faith itself or just got to have faith. It's faith in Jesus. We need to know that faith isn't something that's easy. Faith is hard. So many of us get hung up on that one in particular because we think that as we struggle with faith, maybe in the form of doubts, uh, we think for some reason we don't have faith or perhaps we're not Christians. We need to know that faith is almost always accompanied by doubt. Doubt is a part of faith in that it's hard because faith uh, is a product of the fall. We don't have sight yet. I'll unpack that more later. Faith is a product of the fall, something that we did not live with prior to the fall in the same way. We need to know that faith does not originate in us. It's not a work. It's not something that I do but it's a gift from God. So many of us think that faith is kind of like maybe this muscle that we all just have. And the more you work that muscle out, like the more faith that you have. And if you don't work that muscle out, then like your faith kind of atrophies. And there's some truth to that illustration, but it really misses the key point that it's a gift. So if it is a muscle, it's a muscle that's given to you to be exercised. Um, We need to know that faith is an exercise in obedience but not to earn God's favor, but as a natural response of our new identity. Faith is kind of a reflection. You know, if you shine a light in a mirror, you get a reflection on a piece of glass. Faith is a natural response after you've been born again to the gospel. Faith, right? Faith, uh, just as a quick geeky aside, If you look at John 3, according to the Gospel of John, you have to be uh, born again or what's called regenerated. You have to already be alive to God in order to exercise faith. So faith is not something that precedes you being in union with Christ. Faith is something that begins to become active as you enter into union with Christ. 
All right, so here's what I want to do <clears throat> tonight. I want to give you, um, I want to start out just on the front end by giving you, uh, might be somewhat geeky um, and not practical as I often am, but we're going to do it anyway. I want to give you the definition and function of faith. That's what we're going to do in the front part, the definition and the function of faith. And then we're just going to spend some time unpacking the life of faith, what it feels like and what it looks like and how to do it. And we're going to look at our passage in Philippians uh, as a guide. So first, <clears throat> the definition and the function. Let's look at the definition. Uh, the, the best definition that I can think of is found in uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is basically this um, collection of questions and answers that's several hundreds of years old that really summarize kind of key topics in the Bible, like what is faith? Okay, so the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, to the question, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Answer, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Let me repeat that one more time. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. It's the gift language, saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. So we're going to unpack this more. But basically what this is saying is that faith is a gift to you which enables us to embrace Jesus and to rest in Jesus. Okay, what this is basically saying is that faith is a gift a saving grace which enables us to embrace Jesus and to rest in Jesus. So that's the definition. Now let's look at the function. Um, and this is where it might get a little geeky, but hopefully it makes sense. We're gonna look at the function of faith. Like, what is it for? And, and why are we using it? Okay, so faith... From the human perspective, so it's important to note, Jesus had faith on earth, but his faith is similar to ours in that it was faith and obedience, right? But it wasn't faith as one needing redemption, one needing to be redeemed. So faith for us, faith from the human perspective, those needing to be redeemed, is the mode of our existence in union with Christ. Faith, from our perspective, is the mode of our existence in union with Christ. It is the way that we live. We live, as the Apostle Paul would say, by faith. The mode of our existence. By faith. Which is to say, if we piggyback off of our definition that we just mentioned, uh, that faith is the way that we take hold of Jesus. It's the mode by which we get a grip on Jesus. It's how you get your grip around Jesus, how you take hold of Jesus, right? So you take hold of Jesus, you make it your own, you possess him, not by your performance, not by your works, not by your sight, not by your feelings, but by faith. That is the mode of 
your intimacy with God. The reality of your relationship with God is executed by faith. Okay, so that in that sense, and hopefully some of this some of this Christian lingo is maybe opening up in some new ways, right? So in that sense, only through faith, or as we often say, through faith alone, can you say, Christ is mine and I am his. Only through faith. So, you know, that's why we need to know, well, well, what is faith? Well, faith is this gift and it's receiving and resting in Jesus. And what's the function of it? Well, it's the thing that I take and I actually hold on to Jesus. Like from my perspective, it's the mode of my existence where I take this gift and I cling to Jesus as he holds on to me. So that's the definition and the function of faith. Now what I want us to do is I want us to unpack uh, the life of faith, what this looks like practically in our lived experience. That's what I want to spend some time on. And we're going to look to Philippians for help. Let me just, you know, take a brief moment here uh, and kind of mention what I said last week. There's a million more things that we could say about faith that we're not going to get to. So please, we had a squad last Friday at Coed small group. Come back out this Friday, bring your questions. I will confuse you. Morgan will clarify what I said. Christian will buy you coffee afterwards and clarify what Morgan said. Uh, and you can go to his church when he plans a church one day. Um, so all that said, the first thing that I just want to talk about tonight as it relates to faith, let's talk about receiving and resting in Jesus by faith. Okay, what does that actually look like? What does that actually look like? Let's, let's look at Philippians and see what Paul says. Now, before I, I, I read... Um, in, in the first few verses, starting in verse four, what Paul is basically saying in his own kind of weird ancient Near Eastern vernacular is that according to the flesh, according to his life, right, he's got Obama-like swag, he's got JT-like swag, he's got LeBron-like swag, all combined. Like according to the flesh, Paul had outdone everyone in his circle of influence and acclaim. He is like the guy. He's the creme de la creme. He was the top dog. And then he comments on that starting in verse 7. So we're going to read verses 7 through 9. So look at that uh, if you have your Bible or the text in front of you, starting in in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So here's a couple things to note. First, look at what Paul used to receive and rest in. And then now look at how he views it. Look at what he used to receive and rest in. And now uh, how he views it. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. He says, I count whatever gain I had, I count it as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth 
of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the first thing that faith does practically in this passage is it rests. It rests in the unmatched and surpassing beauty and worth of Jesus compared to anything else that you can accomplish for yourself. So what Paul used to rest, receive and rest in, was he would receive what he had done. He would rest in what he had done. And so Paul is specifically speaking here of a kind of social and religious capital. So by his swagger, um, by you know how um, accomplished he is and the accolades that he has and the credentials that he has, his swagger, right, he gains the admiration of his peers. And so people are walking around in his mind saying, I want to be like this guy. And then he thinks he also gains the admiration of God so that like God is basically saying, I want all my people to be like that guy. And then now in, in, in Philippians 3, Paul has come to this realization that that game, that exhausting fantasy world is rubbish compared to the worth of Jesus. It is literally worth less. His work, his accolades, his accomplishments. What he received and tried to rest in is worthless. And in fact, that word for rubbish um, kind of denotes a sense of, of, of dirty, kind of filthy, unclean, impure. So this, is, this comparison here of, of what Paul had and what Jesus is could not be more categorically different. So faith rests in the works of Jesus, not our own. Faith is not by works. Faith is not a work. Faith rests in works, in the works of Jesus, and not our own. But faith is restful because faith receives. Okay, faith is restful because faith receives. Let's look at verse um, 8 through 9 one more time. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith. Faith can rest in Jesus because faith receives Jesus. It rests because it's it's receiving something else other than yourself. It's resting in the fact that it's received the accomplishments of Jesus. So remember, Faith is how we take hold of Jesus. And so look at this language, right, that Paul uses. Not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So think of it this way. Faith is like depends the adult diapers, right? The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Like when I get old, and I can't hold it in anymore, my cleanliness depends not on my performance, not on the ability of my colon, 
right? My hygiene depends on my depends. And so when Holly, loving wife that she is, comes home and she brings me this wonderful gift of depends, I'm just going to put them on. I'm just going to put them on. I'm not even going to hold it in anymore because I've got my depends to keep me clean. So just know that when I visit you when I'm 80, and I say, Avery, and I rub your head like, how you doing, sport? And I just smell weird? Just know. I have a righteousness that's not my own, a cleanliness that's not my own. It depends on my depends. Now, the illustration falls apart, right? Because I may have cheap depends, right? I may have bought like off-brand version of depends. Would not recommend that. And so I, I might spring a leak. Um, but faith is is not like this. this is you know where it falls apart faith is not about itself right and so the strength of your faith the strength of your depends right is is beside the point it's the object of your faith right not the faith but the object of your faith it's what your faith holds onto right it depends <clears throat> on what your faith is in so here's an example of this um when i put our boys to bed I started this little routine back when we just had Gabe. And basically we've read books, jammies are on, all the stuff. And, you know, back when Gabe, like we might be reading books in our bed and I got to take him to the crib or now it's Bo, we're reading books on Gabe's bed and I take Bo to the crib. But I lean over when we're done. Bo's like sitting on the bed or something. And I always say, hold on to daddy. Like, and I reach down and like they start repeating it. Hold on to daddy. And uh, I reach down and I and I grab them, but they never hold on to me. But I've got them right, so I'm, I'm bending down. And I'm like, hold on to Daddy. But they never, at least especially early on, they never held on to me. But I've got them, right? I have them in my hands. But eventually, over time, as they like this 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 rhythm, this ritual, this catechesis of like hold on to daddy eventually they learn to hold on and here's the interesting thing this is this is what's important for us to realize they learn to hold on not because they think that i will drop them they learn to hold on not because they think that i will drop them they learn to hold on because really what they want to do is they want to hug me they want to embrace me and if I can flatter myself here a moment, they want to feel how strong I am compared to them. They want to feel my muscles. Not many people want to feel my muscles, right? But they want to feel how strong I am. Their faith in me in that moment is an exercise of intimacy for them. It's not because I'm going to drop them. So in their little hearts, they're saying, let's hold on to daddy because daddy is strong and daddy won't drop us. But I'm holding them. But they're exercising faith because they, they want to feel the intimacy of our union, of our relationship, right? So you can only rest in Jesus if you receive Jesus. Faith renounces your accolades and it puts on Jesus's accolades. It puts on Jesus's swag. So that's the first thing. That's, that's you know, hopefully helpful, What practically speaking, what receiving and resting in Jesus looks like. So the second thing I want to look at is that faith is a burden. Faith is a burden. Now, I don't have a lot to say um, 
for the sake of time, but I, I, I did want to mention this because um, basically I just want you to know that faith is hard. And any Christian that wants to pretend like it's easy is not really in touch with reality. Uh, and here's the reason why faith is hard. Here's the reason why it's a burden. Faith is a product of the fall. Faith as we exercise it now is not something that we had to exercise prior to sin entering into the world. And so at the moment, this current moment, we cannot commune with God how we could in the garden. So to live by faith and not by sight, it's Paul's language elsewhere in the New Testament, to live by faith and not by sight is by default, by necessity, to be waiting. Waiting is hard. Being patient is hard. It's to still be asking the age-old question, how long, O Lord? Faith grapples with that question. How long, O Lord? But faith, right on the flip side, faith in this mysterious way is the key ingredient to walking through God's world in a fully human way. Faith is the key ingredient to walking through God's world in a fully human way. And here's why. It's because faith takes into account all the pain and all the beauty that is in God's good world. It doesn't sweep anything under the rug. It looks at God's world and it celebrates the beauty and, and the wonder of it. And it mourns um, with the depravity and the injustice of it. So faith, you know, to give you a couple concrete examples, faith, right? When we live by faith in a story that's greater than the stories that we tell ourselves and the narratives that are greater than the narratives that culture gives us, right? When we live by faith in the story of God and our union with him and relation with him and who he is and how he's created us and what the world is for, when we live by faith and we look at our neighbors, this is what we say, I will love you because God has made you with dignity. You are his image. No matter what you believe, or how big your house is, or how little of a house you have, or if you have no house at all. Like, I will love you because you are made with dignity. You are his image. And that is a statement of faith. That is not rooted in a sentimental feeling about what you should believe, but in what the Bible proclaims about human beings. So it's one thing for me to say that you should, like, you know, tolerate all these people and love all these people. But basically, the signs that we see everywhere about equality and love and doing all these things, it's basically just an ought-to statement that's rooted in nothing else but whatever their preference is in that particular moment to persuade you that they're right. But the Bible gives a fuller account. The reason why you love, the reason why equality is important, the reason why justice is important is because People are made in the image of God. They, they are endowed with dignity that cannot be effaced. And yet we as human beings have attempted to efface and disrupt and disturb the dignity and the image of God and human beings throughout our sinful history, right? But faith looks at the world and it says, I will love you because God has made you in his image. Faith also looks to what is unseen in this mysterious way. It looks to what is unseen as an anchor and as a hope for what is often seen, like death and injustice. It looks to what is unseen as an anchor and, a, and hope for what we endure that is seen, like death and injustice. So 
Rather than seeing death as maybe just an unfortunate event that's sad and makes you cry a lot, faith says, no, death is unnatural. Death is not meant to be. That's why it stings so much. And, you know, and death is just such an extreme example. That's why life stings so much. Little deaths that we experience all throughout life is because it's not supposed to be that way. And so faith looks to, to the unseen remedy of death, which is Jesus who conquered death. And the, the reality is, is that it spreads its hope into the hearts of people all around the world. And that's a historical fact. Christianity, in this mysterious way, this faith, right, has equipped people to navigate the depravity and darkness of the world in a way that nothing else can, and has equipped them to celebrate and savor the beauty of the world in a way that no one else can. So if you want to come to faith, two great ways to do it is go to a good Christian funeral and go to a good Christian wedding. You will be moved by that experience. But here's the reality. It's hard. So I want us to just take inventory for a moment of what Paul says in verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, you, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, I just, you know, want to highlight that language for a second, right? Paul says, I'm not already perfect. He says, I press on. He says, I'm straining forward. This is burden language. Okay, this is a faith that that takes hold of Jesus while simultaneously recognizing my own imperfection, the the road that still lies ahead, the strain that comes as I walk this road, it is burden language. And so faith is not a fairy tale of fun. It is hard. It is a burden. But the promise of faith is that faith one day turns to sight. So it's not always a burden. But I think it's important that we do know it's a burden so that we can just counteract the narratives about faith being this thing that kind of makes life easy and you happy all the time. Okay, So the last thing that I want to hit on is that faith is caught, not taught. Faith, more often than not, is caught and not taught. So really quickly, let's look at verse 17. Here's what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, I can teach you things about faith all day long. And that's a good thing, right? I don't want to like poo-poo that. 
right? It's a good thing to learn and to teach and uh, to to gather information, to learn about the Bible more. But but faith, mysteriously, faith really sinks in when it's caught and not taught. And that's why Paul says, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. I love this um, as an antidote to today's hyper-self-made, hyper-individualistic, hyper-self-realizing cultural moment. Because you know what Paul is saying here? It's kind of totally counter to that. He says, if you want to be a real human, if you want to be really authentic, if you want to be truly genuine, the way you do that is you be a poser. You copy people. You imitate people. You imitate those worth imitating. You follow them as they follow Jesus. And so I'm assuming that you know that they aren't Jesus, right? That's not the point. Um, That should go without saying, but we were meant to live in community. And so as Christians, if you are a Christian, you cannot live faithfully. You cannot live faithfully without imitating the body of believers without mentors, without following people that God puts in your life. Put them on as they put on Christ, right? Follow these people. And if you're not a Christian, you cannot explore the claims of Christianity alone. You can't explore them all by yourself without seeing this faith in action. You have to see this faith embodied because in so many ways, faith is caught, not taught. So, you know, I want to encourage you. Um, it's even a question that we have in our breakout rooms. Like, who are you imitating? Who do you look to? And embrace that. Own that. Know that, like, your faith is not this kind of personal, uh, private, kind of individual thing that you exercise. You need a community. You need to imitate people. Um, primarily Jesus, but Jesus is putting people in your lives. So I want to end with this last Super, super powerful illustration that like brings tears to my eyes most times when I when I hear it. I know this secondhand. This is not something that I personally experienced, but it was so visceral that I could almost see it. And I think this is a great example of why we need to imitate people. Because some of the most unlikely people will will model for us faithful obedience in ways that we could never expect. And it just jerks us out of our like ridiculous excuses for not like holding on to Jesus to as an embrace, right? So I heard this story once from a pastor friend of mine about um, a black pastor in his uh, presbytery, um, which is basically the kind of governing body of churches in their particular area. And, uh, he he said he could not help but um just be infatuated when this black pastor would pray because of how he opened his prayers every time and you want to know the first word out of this guy's mouth when he would pray master master This is a black pastor in the Southeast praying in the group of predominantly white pastors 
to God, opening his prayer, Master. We need to imitate people. It's funny how even imitating people can get us over this little thing called racism too, because if that man can say it, with all the pain and trauma and injustice of the black experience in America, if he can say it with all the legitimate questions of why us and how long, O oh Lord, will be, we be treated this way and experience life in this way, if he can say it when all the evidence would suggest that that's the last word he should ever say to own his dignity or whatever way you want to frame it, if he can say it, maybe I should say it. Maybe I should start learning to to view God as master because it's a good thing. Okay, I love that story. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Master, we thank you. We praise you, we worship you, and we trust in you, and we rest in you, and we receive you, and we pray that our faith would make us good servants, would make us slaves of righteousness as we live and move in your world, Um, And we work for the good of the world and for your glory. We don't work for your love. We don't work for your embrace. But because you have embraced us and called us your own, we call you our own. And by faith, we live in this reality. Would this become more real to us even now we pray? In Christ's name, amen.